Hello, welcome back to Creative Chit Chat. Um, this is episode number 80. 80. That means the podcast is an octogenarian. <laughs> it's a good word, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, this week uh, I'm joined by Gareth Christie, um, who runs a company called Flick for Kicks. He makes custom made um, Subutio tables, um, equipment, that's maybe not the right word, uh, but he makes everything from figures to custom painted stuff to um, these amazing um, sort of mini tables, mid side tables, full side tables, like bespoke wood made, like handcrafted tables um and he's a real advocate for subutio as a game and raising awareness of that and getting um kids and young people involved in playing the game um he sort of goes back through his career and when he first started um talks about um being uk junior champion a couple of times um and then going off to exotic locations to play subutio um I think I well I first met Gareth and he uh, was part of Fleet Collective, um, so part of that co-working space that quite a few of the, the guests in the podcast have been part of, um, but sadly is no longer a thing anymore. Um, we talk about that and talk about that community aspect. It's I mean it's a theme that's throughout the podcast for Gareth. I think um, he works best when he has a community around him, um, and whether that's a physical community that he exists within or whether it's using things like podcasts to um have that real feel um and it's a, it's a theme as well that comes out in next week's podcast which is really quite interesting about again about the, the sort of value that, that podcasts can bring and they can remove that feeling of of isolation um just by sort of popping a set of headphones on but yeah i mean i'd urge you before you listen to the episode to go and check out flick for kicks just to see what gareth does um i think <laughs> Uh, I've been trying to get him on this on the podcast for about two years now. Um, he's taken a little bit of convincing, uh, to say the least. Finally got him, and it's a great episode. And the the work that he does is phenomenal. I think. I mean, Subutio is is maybe a game that has faded in and out of the sort of spotlight over the years, and but it's a real great alternative to like video games and TV and iPads and all that sort of thing. It's a real good. I mean, dexterity-based, strategy-based game. Um, I mean, I are sort of seeing a bit of a resurgence in, in board games, um, especially with sort of new hipstery pubs not putting TVs in them now. They all seem to stock a selection of classic board games, so why not just get a few Shibuya tables in there? But yeah, I mean, Gareth talks about um, the range that he's created, um, and this he does amazing basically custom made tables, so he will customise the table for you, um, put your team on it, your company, your your fantasy team um he talks about this uh client and his son basically designed the logo and gareth sort of made it up for him and put it on this little mini subutio table um and it's amazing it's, it's like bringing those dreams to life and i think that's what's wonderful about about what gareth's doing um yeah so do go and check that out before you listen to the episode it's worth a nosy about what he's up to because it's not just tables um we go into the Minty's collaboration as well which was beautiful um, little legends figures and it's amazing how you can tell who all the players are without um, without there really being much detail um, so if you are a football fan and in any sort of way definitely go and check out um, the website or the Instagram, um, links are all in the show notes but yeah, so I feel like I've rambled on quite a bit there so um, yeah, 
if you're new to the podcast, which you may well be, um, there's loads of ways to keep up to date nowadays. Um, you can do it through Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash CCC Dundee. Or you can go Twitter and Instagram, it's at CCC Dundee. Or you can search on a podcasting platform, we're on Spotify. You can even ask those smart speaker things. Essentially find the channel that's right and follow it and then you can keep up to date with everything that's going on. So yeah, let's get into the episode. So this is number 80 and this is with Gareth Christie. Okay, so yeah, a couple of years ago I found um, one of these kind of what do you want to do when you're older um, things I'd written at back in primary school and apparently computing um, or architecture is what I wanted to do and I've no like recollection of this but apparently um, yeah, that was a thing and um, I think at the time architecture thing was maybe because I thought architects made a load of money um, so it's funny how those like when you're making those decisions at school like money is a big driving factor it's like what well, what jobs make a lot of money so that'd be a good one to do yeah and it's not like what would bring me the most happiness and fulfillment and then completely yeah and it's yeah now the total opposite really of yeah sort of uh, ethics and uh, yeah, the way it works so um, yeah uh, but as it turned out, um, yeah, so going through school, I always really enjoyed school, and so I was a bit swatty, I suppose, and, you know, doing well was always important for me, and, um, you know, learning more stuff, and always doing the best I can do, and then, I think it was, yeah, fifth year, halfway through fifth year before prelims, um, I was in the graphic communication class, and, yeah, so the teacher said there was this um, offer of an apprenticeship at a local architect's firm, and um, yeah, it was the power partnership, and um, me and another guy were asked if we wanted to kind of go along and um, sort of interview for it. And um, I had a chat with my parents about it, and like I really, you know, I think you know grades are obviously like super important when you're at school, and like you know getting your hires and all that kind of stuff, and then going to, going to get a job and going to uni, or sorry, going to uni and then get a job, blah blah blah. Yeah, it was obviously a sort of a big decision at that time to kind of whether whether to actually just ditch the whole getting the grades thing and go straight to work, um, especially when I was, you know, I was doing quite well at school. Yeah, and I, I had no idea. It's pretty sort of wet behind the ears, kind of like maybe a bit like immature, even from age, I think. Yeah, anyway, went, went along for the interview and um, still didn't really know what it was like all about, like an architectural technician. But in case you don't know, so there's... Um, yeah, architects sort of design the uh, the building, the function, the aesthetics and all that kind of thing. And um, the general construction and then the technicians are the ones who kind of obviously do the technical side. And um, so they adhere to like the building standards, sort of rule book for how you're meant to make a building. And um, yeah, sort of do all the technical drawings and uh, specifications for everything, ironmongery and all that kind of thing. So, so... Yeah, so I started this apprenticeship, left just before prelims in fifth year, and um, yeah, straight into work, into a world was totally like alien to me. With uh, at the bottom of the rung as an apprentice, so you're you know you're getting the coffee and you're like, you know, first thing I had to do was like wash my drawing board because back then it was um, it was actually it's, it was a good time I think to start because drawing boards. Like the drawings were actually done as physical drawings with pens, and um, actually one of the one of the things we had to do when we were 
any any spare moment we had, um, you had to practice your lettering. Uh, sort of draw three lines and just perfect like capital letters uh, for all the drawings. So um, yeah, I've got really neat writing now. So there you go. It's, uh, it's like the the last in <laughs> legacy of that apprenticeship. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, people often comment on it. I'm like, oh, no. but I can't write lowercase now, so it's a shame. <laughs> just look like a two year old. <laughs> Um, so what happened after that then? Where did you where did you go from that apprenticeship? Then? Yeah, so that involved um, yeah, so it was Dundee College um, sort of um, day release, and then um, finished that. That was a four year apprenticeship, and then stayed for another two years, and then I think the kind of last year I was really having yeah, I just wasn't really happy with with what I was doing. But I think the main thing is I didn't have enough interest in actual. What and actually what I was doing, it wasn't really it was it wasn't lighting a fire really in me. So I was like, right, okay. Um, I've been looking at the uni prospectuses and found the computer arts course at Aberty. That started in '99, um, and I was just reading it. I was like, this is everything I want to do. It was like video animation, um, computer art. There was virtual environments, three um, D stuff, and. Yeah, just all sounded sounded great. Someone really get teeth into it. So, um, I managed to get. Well, actually, I'd been doing three D classes um, f- at Dundee College as well because uh, night classes while I was while I was working because you know I, I was really interested in that area. And actually, that that was the thing from the, the architecture. It was I was more interested in the selling of the ideas and there was someone that was learning how to do visualization walkthroughs and all that kind of thing and it was using um yeah 3ds max and put together in macromedia director at the time and um showing your age now yeah i know (laughs) shocking um so yeah it was um i was really interested in that side of things and um just how to communicate ideas more um efficiently I suppose. It was just because it was an arts course um, there was really good opportunities to kind of mould it into your areas of interest. Yeah I think because I'd been working already and I was that little bit older I wasn't sort of fresh out of school um, I kind of I was much more focused about it and I was much more I don't know I just felt grateful for the opportunity of being there because I actually didn't think I'd get into the course because my I didn't really have a portfolio. Um, I, I think that, that's maybe a good point about university is that coming at it straight from school, you don't appreciate what the working world is necessarily like. Okay, you might have had part-time jobs or worked the summers or things like that, but mm. to actually have gone into a working environment and then appreciate the, the freedom and the ability to sort of play and explore the areas that you're interested in yeah. um, full-time, that's quite a luxury. Yeah, oh, a huge luxury, yeah, yeah. Because you're, yeah, you suddenly have all this time and all these resources and um, and all this support around you as well, and and then there's the social side as well, which is which is brilliant. So, for those reasons, it, it was uni was great for me, and um, so obviously oh God, I haven't even mentioned table football yet. That's mental. <laughs> um, so yeah, I started playing that in 2012. Shut up. Uh, 1989, I started playing Sabuto when. Yeah, we were introduced, a bunch of us from school went along to um, a friend Greg's house and um, he told us he was Scottish champion at the time, which was absolute lies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he also said he was Scottish darts champion, I think. And I think he maybe said something about badminton as well, I can't remember. But uh, he's got a really dry sense of humour. But uh, 
yeah, we saw the game and we, yeah, we we absolutely loved it. Um, just the way the yeah the figures moved around the table and you know he was playing quite quickly and you could see yeah uh, yeah all the moves you could do and um, and then there's all the all the different teams uh, he had his Dundee United team on the table and stuff and it was, we were just like yeah totally amazed. Um, Is that like I had it as a kid as well? I, I had a superior set and it was like that. It's got such a classic, timeless aesthetic, mm. and like yeah, you'd get the team that you loved, or like you'd save up and you'd get a new goalie, or, or something like that. And it was like everything that surrounded that that game, and it was the ceremony of bringing it out and putting it on the table and actually setting everything up, and then having yeah. a game. And then it's not the sort of thing you just go, oh, let's just have five minutes of that, unless you had the luxury of a, a table. Um, mm. But yeah, for me, there was a there was a bit of magic that surrounded sort of Sabutio. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the same for. Um, many people that, that that kind of time or yeah, right through the seventies sort of and eighties, it was it was huge. There was like millions planes worldwide, and because um, like well, when did it when did it first start? Uh, so it was nineteen forty seven. Actually, there was an original game called New Footy back in in the early nineteen hundreds. Basically, Sabutio was a, a sort of more advanced version of that, which came out in forty seven, uh, invented by a guy called Peter Adolf. And that was yeah, so it was down all invented sort of in England, and um, the factories are in Tunbridge Wells, and later on I think were manufacturing elsewhere as well in Gibraltar and what have you. Um, so where's the, where did the name come from? Uh, so the name Sabutio is so yeah, so Peter Adolf wanted to call it uh, call the game hobby, but it was rejected because it was too descriptive or something. Um, so. Um, he was a, an ornithologist, an ornithologist. Um, so he used the Latin, um, yeah, there's a, a, is it the Latin nomenclature. I can't, I can't remember. I shouldn't try and pronounce things I don't understand properly. Um, but uh, basically, yeah. So Falco Sabutio, um, I think, is the Latin name for the bird hobby. So ah, okay, so that makes sense. Taking the the Sabutio part of of that. Uh, yeah. So we. We started up, or Greg started up, Brody Ferry Table Football Club, and um, there was, I think there was about 16, 16, 20 of us or something, all going round to his house on a, whatever night it was, and this tiny little, tiny little room, just enough, big enough for two tables, and uh, it's absolute madness, because we were all, like, 11, 12 years old, and we came up to really good standards quickly, and um, we started sort of winning tournaments and stuff like that, and... Um, yeah, I think our first first tournament was in sort of John Menzies uh, regional qualifier, and then you went on to the the final, which was uh, in Glasgow usually. And um, yeah, so anyway, so long story short, I became Scottish Junior Champion in ninety one, um, and I was yeah, and I think I won it the year yeah the year after as well. Um, but yeah, it was amazing at the time because um, because it was sort of funded by Sabutio, so we got this trip to Hamburg to play in the European Championships. Uh, we got Scotland kits, we got trainers, um, and yeah, it was an all expenses paid trip, and you know, got to see about Hamburg and go out for a meal and that kind of stuff. And you know, you met all these players from all around the world, and everyone had their like nations kits on, and um, yeah, it was it was pretty amazing experience to go through it at that age. And I think um, why well, it was sort of one of the reasons I was I was I was hooked really, um, other than just the fact I love playing the game itself. But I think 
Yeah, one of the other draws of the game is so, so that first Scottish Championship final that I won um, I I played really well the whole tournament and then I got to the final I was absolute mince and um, I was 1-0 down with 30 seconds to go and um, the basically <clears throat> there's a move you can do basically when you're attacking you can hit the ball and uh, while the ball's still rolling you can hit it again so at a corner and um, so 30 seconds ago, this is pretty much my last chance um, to equalise. Yeah, played it across in the corner and then just smashed it in on the run. It's just like the most amazing feeling because there was all this stuff at stake for, you know, go to the European Championships and had all my clubmates behind me and I could see Greg was right in front of me as well. And um, it's just an amazing moment. It's just, you know, it's like when you go to football and you live for those moments of like that actual goal, even though the rest of the game might be absolutely rubbish, but that moment of elation. Um, and it's just those moments that, it, that I play for. And, um, so yeah, that's pretty much why I, I love the game, I think, is those little moments. So yeah, so obviously this is going on at the same time as which you're going through your apprenticeship and everything else. So this is a sort of this passion at the side. Yeah. Um, but then that sort of transitioned into more than that, like at, at university when you were at Aberty. Yeah, so I guess um, from that... Uh, initial trip um, I kind of um, I really got the bug for it and I started getting involved in the game in other ways um, but using my other skills so um, you know we were making kind of like little magazines and stuff and a big thing happened in, in 95 um, basically the game Sabutio and Sports Table Football became a separate thing so they were trying to go move away from the toy brand and make the game itself a, a game in its own right basically with its own organisation so you now have the Federation of International Sports Table Football so anyway at that time also um, a new style of figure came out um, which was basically um, kind of they were made of polystyrene bases were a little bit different um, and uh, yeah so the figures were flat um, so I mentioned this because um, yeah so this is what I had my first PC um and uh, yeah, so I decided to do my first bit of computer art, and um, yeah, so I made these little stick-on kits. It was like design works on the PC, I think I used, and um, so I just sort of made out football kits and then printed them out and stuck them on. And then so that was my first little business. Like, kind of tried to sell some of them. Uh, I think I made about twelve quid, um, and then uh, yeah, kind of gave away all the designs and the software to like one of the older guys um, who was because he, he was making replacing the polystyrene figures which would break and he made them with balsa wood and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, I always had this thing of like whatever I was learning, I couldn't yeah whether it was like photography or video, I always because I have this obsession with the table football, I always think right, how can I apply this to you know, make the game, uh, again, it goes back to the learning things. How can I make this more accessible for people? Um, how can I make it more fun to, to kind of look at or to, to promote what we're doing kind of thing? Um, so when it got to uni, um, third and fourth year, I, I suppose I kind of, this was always on my mind. But the, yeah, my, basically my honours year project was um, to simplify the learning of the game because I don't know if you like ever knew the proper rules but probably not uh, no. yeah, I don't think many people did it was they were all pretty vague what you got in the box set um, and then you know with the sports table football version as well it's like the, the rule book is pretty huge and seems pretty daunting and complicated so I wanted to kind of simplify all that 
Um, so, yeah, it's kind of combining all those skills to um, make the game easier to learn and hopefully encourage more people to play and just make it more accessible to just sort of get right into. Um, so, yeah, my honours degree project was the, the use of digital technology to aid the understanding of complex non-digital games. <laughs> Snappy. Yeah, yeah, it rolls off the tongue. Um, so... Uh, that was it, but that was great because I, I got to interview. Um, well, I played basketball as well, so um, interviewed my basketball coach, um, football coaches, and because uh, also yes, yeah, so it was used as a kind of visualization tool for like a hands-on um, tactical kind of thing. So um, it's just easier to visualize for people if one can stand around the table. Um, so basically, I, I did a proof of concept, which was. Oh yeah, that was that was really good fun actually. So I had stations set up. So I'd basically created a bit of a digital learning tool. So I, I chose the most basic rule um, is how to actually flick the figures correctly. Um, so I gave um, people the text from the rule book, and they had to read that and then spend a couple of minutes just trying to flick based on what they'd read. And this was all filmed. Um, and then they would go out and they would use the wee digital tool and then they would go back and try to flick again and then film that so I had a before and after and the difference was just crazy it was just like that's wild and basically at the core of it, it was just really video with a sort of an interactive quiz kind of thing um, but it's just like asking the right questions and getting people to observe the way the technique is happening and that kind of stuff um, so yeah, that was really, really interesting. Um, so that was that was the main output, I suppose. Um, take on. So uh, at, at what point did um, Subutio and the, the sort of passion for that start to become a sort of an opportunity to to make money and then sort of start to forge a career with it? Actually, moved out of Dundee. In my relationship at the time, I sort of moved to. Abernethy, great little village um, over in Perthshire, but I was quite isolated because I was working. Actually, I was yeah, I was still doing freelance work, um, and I was working from home, and I was working in the loft actually, in a new village. Didn't really know anyone. Sort of young family at the time, and I wanted to. Thought right, surely I can provide something to do for you know like local kids at school when it's dark at night in the summer and all ends in the winter and. I can't get outside and play, and uh, obviously this the sweet thing. I'm like, yeah, can I can I sort of organise something here? Basically, I ran a an open night at the local hall. Just hired the hall and um, made up some flyers. I think I spammed like 120 houses. Like we all went right door to door. This is like I suppose before Facebook was sort of really a thing. I set up a bunch of tables and um, yeah, had like stations of like skills to try out that kind of thing. Uh, obviously, fingers crossed, didn't know if anyone was actually going to come. Because, um, yeah, and yeah, I think there was about 30 people came or something. Oh, that's uh, pretty good. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, families. Um, yeah, it was great. And from that, I started running a club, which ran for two years, Aberdeen Table Football Club. And I um, ran some competitions and did painting workshops, showing them how to paint little figures and all that kind of thing. Um, yeah, and then, so that was... So yeah, the club 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 was great. Um, and then, but keeping it going is is difficult. I learned a lot doing that. Um, 
I learned a lot about myself as well and like my own skills and limitations um, and uh, yeah it was really good but uh, ultimately yeah disbanded um, it was just getting too much with, with everything else going on and then um, yeah so at this time yeah so when my son came along um, my dad had wanted to make a little table for him um, I think he was he was almost two a little sabato table for him and um, so we kind of got together and we were sort of designing it together like how we could um, make it a good size for him and what it could be and then he pretty much made something out of weird like a wee prototype and painted it up and then um, yeah we gave him a little play test and uh, yeah he sort of yeah he really liked it and he was like yeah scoring goals and stuff and yeah, it was cool. And then I think my mates, um, my mate Aaron from, um, yeah, so by this time I'd made some friends in the village. <laughs> um, so pal Aaron who runs mountain biking events, he'd, um, yeah, so Muck Maiden mountain biking events, uh, he just started that in, so I think it was 2012, and um, it was his 40th birthday, so, um, and he's a St Mern fan, so what I did was um, he ended up with this the very first prototype table he now has and uh, I personalised it with um, sort of graphics all around of stuff to do with his mountain biking events and like his YouTube channel and all this kind of stuff um, just like really fun things and um, uh, yeah I made a personalised box for the teams to go in and all that kind of thing yeah so I guess that was the kind of first personalised table that we done and I, I really enjoyed doing that and that's really influenced kind of what I'm doing now um, with the sort of personalised products um so was that the point at which you thought well actually maybe there's something in this like to to create a business out of um i didn't really know like i don't really yeah business mind is not really my my strong point um but we went to we had a couple of stalls at the dundee flower and food festival a couple of years running and um yeah we just took it along there and um we just did play testing and let people have a go and see what they thought and we can ask like how much would you pay for something like this it was ridiculous we were like we were asking i don't know it came away with something like 30 quid or something between 30 and 50 quid for like you know like a, a handmade kind of thing which took a long time to wait and like yeah, this not too sure. Uh, and then the first bunch we sold for like way below what we should have. And then, but we we kept going, thinking that you know just get it out there and see what people think of it. Just keep going from there, really. Yeah, that's kind of just how it started. It's just sort of organically. It's not like we, yeah, had this great plan to kind of like rejuvenate the game, I suppose. But. The, it sort of turned out that way like we've, we've kind of realised I suppose through running the club that it's quite a big investment in size and cost of like a full size table um, so you're talking like a metre and a half by a metre for a full size table So and a little one that we make is like sort of 800 so yeah 80 centimetres by 40 so and you can stick it on your coffee table and have a quick game and it's all set up and you don't have that wrinkly pitch and all that kind of nonsense um, and yeah it's just the goal's already in there nice metal sturdy goal so it's just uh, ready to play in um, what is it is five a side five a side yeah three four five a side um, some people have had full teams on it it's just <laughs> madness but um, no it's uh, it's good fun and you can play lots of different games on it as well and use it as a wee solo training thing as well so yeah it's good to see what people are doing with it how people use it for yeah whatever they want so that's cool yesterday uh, not just at the weekend there we'd set up some 
like what a wee bowling set my pal Chris had given me this like finger flick bowling set so I set up like this wee 10 pin bowling thing uh, and then we used the men to kind of knock them down it's like <laughs> the game with the sun it was cool like all these dexterity games I think is kind of the dexterity side of things is where I want to make that distinction between the digital side so yeah I mean I think part of it is like I've for my own life as well I spend so much time staring at screens working on computers and um, I just I feel like it's kind of wearing me down and actually a few years ago I kind of decided it's like I don't want to work on screens anymore (laughs) I just don't want to work on a computer and when you've done that for so long since you know like 20 odd years I'm like how do I get around this because this is my career this is what I do this is what I'm trained in um, so I think I've used Subutio or the, the table football stuff and the moving more into the kind of making of physical products um, as a way of getting more away from the screens and getting more hands on and using some of those skills that I learned earlier on um, in the architecture kind of days as well because um, you used to make, make presentation boards and, and that kind of thing as well so um to, yeah, to sort of yeah, sample boards to sell ideas to clients and that kind of thing. So, um, and I always love the craft and seeing the, the architectural models. I think they're like totally amazing, uh, like out of scale stuff. Like I really love like things that are tiny that are meant to be big and like huge things. That are, yeah, just love all that. So, um, yeah, there's something nice so, in that though that um, there is ever more a focus on especially with like uh, children's activities just handing them an iPad um, or sending them away on the computer or watching the TV or something like that there's something nice about an activity that they can get excited about that is physical um, that can be played indoors on a winter's night like you talk about um, that it doesn't have to cost a fortune but it's really fun and engaging and it can expand on like a love of football or something that they that probably are to generate an interest in yeah completely and like you can see there's a marked difference in um the like i can see my son's expressions when he's like playing table football or, or whatever or playing like with lego and all that kind of stuff and we're like playing face to face and chatting with each other and you know just having a laugh um, than how he is when he's playing, you know, staring at stuff on YouTube and stuff like that. So, like, loads of Minecraft videos and commentary. I'm like, I, I don't, okay, whatever. Just, yeah, enjoy yourself. But, you know, let's also do this thing. Um, so, uh, so actually, that's, that's just reminded me. So, last year I went to, within the space of a month, I went to um, a board games convention tabletop scotland which is uh, i think we ran it for the first time last year in perth and then i went to the rapture gaming festival so totally different um types of event and um yeah it was uh, it was quite interesting just the different atmosphere uh, the, the two different places like the, the board games um it was, it was really great it was like all you know kind of bright and the way it was set out it was all sort of um there's a games library there you could go and um, take your games out and sit down with your your family or your mates and um, play some games or you could um, put a little sign up saying you needed taught how to play this game and like people would come along and help you out and um, they had the exhibitors there and all that kind of stuff and yeah, it was just like bright and welcoming and warm and people just 
playing face to face, looking each other in the eye, and like, you know, it's just that human connection kind of thing. And then the Rapture Gaming Festival was like for me because like I was sort of quite introverted, and I went in, and I was just like, whoa. Uh, so obviously, dark room, screens everywhere. There was, um, you know, there's a retro gaming section, and um, just banks and banks of computers and video games. They had uh, a giant screen. They had esports going on, so there'd people sitting there and watching watching games, which still blows my mind. Um, but uh, you can see it's like you know with the commentary and stuff, you, you you can totally get into it. I did enjoy the afternoon as well, um, and I was there with with my son, and like he loved it as well. So um, yeah, um, yeah, I'm not like anti video games in any way because like. I still love them myself and yeah, get way too easily addicted, uh, which is kind of why I need to stay away from them sometimes. It was just a, diff- a different feel to the to the event. It was interesting to maybe learn about just finding the right people, the right people that like different kinds of events um, that would like what I'm doing with the table football stuff as well, I suppose. It's, yeah, so it's finding yeah. That, that audience for, for Flicks for Kicks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I mean, how how has your range like changed over time? Like you talked about creating that first prototype with your dad, um, and then it's obviously moved on, and you're doing a lot more bespoke stuff. But so how has that range developed and changed? So the yeah, so the mini tables um, are now available in um, yeah. So we still do basically a painted one. Um, and then a personalised one, so um, there's more of a, a sort of personalised gift. So you can have um, um, graphics on the inside and outside, and we sort of do um, uh, yeah heat press vinyl on the pitch as well. So we can put like lettering on the pitch and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then we can do personalised teams and boxes and everything. So basically, you can have like a totally customised kind of thing. Um, which and actually one of my favourite projects was um, had a, a dad got in touch. His son had a, like a mobile little football game, and he wanted to get him a, a, a Sabutio one. And he'd seen the little tables, and he wanted to um, order one of these. And he said um, that his son had come up with this name Smashers FC was his team name. So I was like, okay, that's good. That's Vince inspiration. I asked if he could design a little badge for it. So he sent me this like adorable little drawing of um, this kind of like crayon coloured in kind of thing, and uh, yeah, so that became the football badge um, for the for the table, and then he used that and the name for inspiration for all the the graphics and the colours as well that he, he used, and then we got hand painted teams drawn, a tiny little logo on them, and um, customised boxes as well. So like this kid got like the most personalised <laughs> gift you could like ever have, I think for. Um, it's, it's amazing it's like bringing that imagination to life so it's having that thought of the smashers fc and then it's like that becomes a reality so that's kind of what you create through that mm. and like having that i mean the real insight to to get the child to, to make the badge so and then recreate an illustrator and then make the vinyl and put it on it's like i suppose that's all it's all part of that service that you're providing yeah yeah, I think, and that's one of the things, you know, the vinyls, that's come from learning, that's come from doing taxi designs years ago. Um, that's how I learned that. And um, the the vinyl press, I learned that from visiting a guy from uni who started up a t-shirt business 
and um, I just went to visit him one time and um, he was showing me like his cutter and how to cut out the vinyl and then how to um, yeah how to heat press it and so it's, it's just all these little things just being interested in what other people are doing and other things you've done in the past and just throwing yourself into absolutely anything because you never know how it's going to be useful in the future mm. um, so yeah I kind of like I, yeah I, that's kind of like how I just kind of like to get involved in stuff but so. you've started making bigger like full size tables as well though yeah so we um, yeah so the range now is the mini table and then the full size tables in different woods so yeah we've got oak um, Marante, and then actually we do a mid size table as well and like people ask for all sorts of different things so if we can do something bespoke we will um, yeah just kind of comes down to sort of time usually so, and we also do like a really high-end table with storage inside and, and all that kind of thing and that came about from a friend Andy who's one of our club mates as well um, he um, he did some lovely wood stuff and actually he made um, he made built his own house and um, he builds boats and he's had his own businesses in the past yeah well, actually I forgot one of the most important things about my Sabito, um sort of career if you like after Abernethy Table Football Club, um, so I'd been running this for a year, and then Sabito itself had been off the shelves for over a decade. And um, when video games, video games came around, and they, they kind of uh, Hasbro sort of shelved it, but it was relaunched in 2012. So it's just like serendipitous timing that I'd started this club and I'd been doing the Super V stuff as well. So I'd sort of had all these sort of skills and uh, to do with the manufacturing design and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then I'd have my uni project in my head, which was my interactive learning tool. Um, so I got in touch with the licensor of Subitio, so the company from Spain, who have the rights to produce under the Subitio name for the next, or what was four or five years, I think it's about to come to an end. Um, and uh, yeah, so he said he wanted to chat to me at the World Cup, which was in the Etihad Stadium at Man City's ground in 2012 um, so that was weird um, I <laughs> I'd um, so I was playing in a tournament I'd just come off refereeing and like I was really nervous about this meeting obviously because it was like massive for me um, and uh, I so I came off this game and I just sort of went into this room with my sort of big box of plastic boxes of stuff and my iPad so there was not only this guy um, from the yeah from the Spanish company. There was the um, managing director of the UK was it yeah the UK licensing um, company and um, branding company for Subitio, and um, a guy from Hasbro as well who was handling uh, the relaunch. Suddenly faced with these three guys who are like yeah really obviously knew their stuff in the toy industry and all that kind of stuff and this was me just like covered in with my Scotland kit on wearing my shorts and everything <laughs> and then to add to that there was a guy a couple of guys uh, Rich Ferguson and um, was running a um, did a documentary so he was he'd been filming and stuff and that was his breakout room so they were sitting in there and he ended up filming the the pitch as well so it was, it was all a bit weird so I had prepared a little slideshow on um um, iPad and I just kind of flicked through and I was just talking away and yeah just everything came out it was just like sort of a dream kind of pitch if you like or it felt like at the time 
Um, and uh, yeah, I just kind of showed them all the stuff I'd been doing. I think he's so Peter, one of the guys who says, like, this is a no brainer. We should get this in shops. Um, yeah, really impressed all that kind of stuff. And uh, so I was just like, <laughs> shut your face. That was ridiculous. <laughs> I didn't say that. But um, it was just, uh, yeah, sort of inside. It was just like, you know, like screaming. So a few weeks later, I ended up, I flew down to London for a meeting. And then, um, yeah, had a chat about it all. And long story short, I was offered a, a license to produce official Sabuto products for like learning videos and um, a range of gift products and um, with my art on them and um, personalized and all that kind of stuff because i'd been kind of doing stuff already but unofficially and not with like this video name or anything like that so this was obviously like a dream can kind of come true for me like massive thing and then it got it kind of got down the nitty-gritty and you know over the months I, I got the contract through and it was like 14 pages of small print and you know i think because it was because I had still, I was working, I was still working from home, still like isolated in terms of having other creatives around me and all that kind of stuff. And um, I got support, a little bit of support from, was it Cultural Enterprise? Um, so I managed to sp speak to a lawyer about the contract. And, um, but yeah, because that intellectual property thing was really bugging me. Um, That's like the first paragraph I looked at. And um, basically, yeah. Uh, I wasn't happy with signing away rights to... It It sounded like I was signing away rights to everything that I was producing, just because, you know, the the way the licenses usually work is a bit different to how I was doing it. Um, so I was coming with artwork and products, whereas usually the licensing company would provide artwork and a company would put it on their product and then sell that product. But I was coming with, yeah, the artwork, so... I didn't want to sign everything away, and um, yeah, we were kind of like uh, attempted, att like yeah, you know, had a wrote to Hasbro, um, explained the situation, and yeah, I was I was kind of left hanging for a long time about it, and then in that time I was still like kind of preparing for to go ahead with it all, um, finding suppliers for all the different um, products, and working out sort of systems of how to do it all if there was like. Because I had no idea what the quantity was going to be like or how how much interest it was, and uh, yeah, after about a year, uh, yeah, I just got, I got a really one line reply back about the IP stuff, and it was basically a take it or leave it, and uh, yeah, that sucked, <laughs> and um, yeah, so you know, there's not really anything I can do about it, and then a couple other things as well where uh, it wasn't. You know, or I just wasn't equipped to deal with um with the, the kind of contract stuff. And I think you know, had it been a little bit later when I was at Fleet and I had more of that support around me, I think it might have been different. Um, I would have had more confidence about um kind of going ahead with it and um yeah, just yeah, more uh, resources, I suppose. Yeah, because uh, uh, that was when I uh, first met you was uh when you joined fleet collective mm. um it like what was the was it that experience that you'd had at abernethy being isolated um that drove you to look for a a co-working space or that sort of environment 
Yeah, um, so... Yeah, so basically what, what had happened was... Um, the Yeah, I'd been working on my own for a, a, quite a long time and um, I was really unhappy. Things weren't good at home with sort of relationship-wise and, you know, the licence thing ended up not going ahead with it. And then, uh, yeah, basically... I moved back to Dundee, and then, yeah, I was it was a really bad time actually for a good year. I was I was renting out um, studio space in a farm above a farm shop. It was great. It was meant to be like a studio space, which was split up and have lots of little businesses in there. Um, but really, there was only me and an, a sort of silversmith in the end, um, who was who was lovely. But yeah, but between us, there was like a massive space in between, which was hopefully going to be filled, and this wasn't enough local interest in the small village. So, um, so uh, yeah, and eventually it was it was just me and my own. So anyway, I moved back to Dundee, and um, yeah, I was like numb pretty much. Uh, relationship had broken down. This week, of license had fallen through. I wrote my car off uh, on one of my commutes. I was um, then, what was it? Yeah, and I was still. I was going into the studio space. Like I was commuting. I'd moved back home with my parents, commuting um, for um, forty-five minutes every day to go and basically sit in a room and I was numb and couldn't couldn't do anything. So surrounded by all this video stuff, and uh, yeah, just totally isolated. So anyway, point is when I got back to Dundee and then finally made that decision to move. And uh, I walked into Fleet, and I was like, "Okay, this feels like home. I like this." Um, and it was just so warm and welcoming. I remember Brian showing me around. He's, uh, yeah, really, really, like, just kind of explaining everything, and um, kind of it introduced me to a few folk. And uh, yeah, it's just an amazing space, wasn't it? It's just like it looked really nice, and I was just had a feel about it, which was just warm, and people were getting stuff done, but also there was. You know, you, you knew that if you needed to, uh, like, take a wee time out and sit around the kitchen or whatever and have a wee coffee and someone would come along and you have a wee chat. And, uh, yeah, it's just totally different way of working. And, uh, yeah, it was really good for me. Yeah, it, it was phenomenal for me as well. I think it, it really acted as that support network um, and the, a sort of sounding board that was always there like you could always rely on someone just to show them something and say what do you think of this or has anyone seen that or like and it just yeah it was that that support that helped a lot of, of things develop um ideas projects businesses people mm. like i think it nurtured a lot in there probably more than we actually realize at the time or probably even now um so i think there, there's definitely real value in that the co-working model but mm. i think that i mean as we're now sitting what a year down the line since fleet um ceased to exist mm. um and there are other spaces there are also other planned spaces and i hope that um like what the, what happens they can learn from the the model of fleet and the that there needs to be that financial stability there needs to be a constant flow of people we need to fill the spaces we need to nurture those businesses to grow organically mm. and i think all those sorts of learnings which are all in the fleet collective episode absolutely <laughs> i wish i knew which number it was then I, that, that would have been slick but mm. nah, never mind but i mean i think that that's really important and for the for the future of the city for the future of the creative community as well i think we need to yeah need to learn from the experiences and and not always shout about the excesses this is not always shout about the successes but learn from the failures and talk about them 
a lot more openly. I think that's mm. something we should do more as a city. Yeah, I think that's been great about one of the great things about the podcast is you get to hear those real stories of the, the struggles as well, not just um, all the kind of like all singing, all dancing stuff that people have done. Um, so yeah, it's because you you are an an avid listener of the podcast because <laughs> through the stats I can see that you you've listened more than anyone else. Yay! <laughs> that is weird um but yeah. um oh. but i mean like podcasts are obviously like not just this one but like podcasts in general you find them like to be helpful useful like, as part of your process as part of your work yeah definitely and uh, yeah i mean it's, it's just great like hearing about what people do and how they've gone about doing things and you know you can spur on your own ideas from that um but yeah it's just it's motivational as well just hearing about people's stories and their struggles and like okay so they've gone through this they've gone through this and and look where they are now kind of thing um and yeah so i just find it like yeah inspiring and it's something to do you know you can multitask as well while obviously you're doing other stuff and like when i'm making tables and i'm just listening to stuff in the background um and it's great it's i guess it's, it's that takes away that isolation thing again it's like you've got people you know like voices just chatting away and it's just like you're overhearing a conversation or whatever so yeah it's really cool so yeah i mean like talking about that community aspect you obviously get that from the like, from the guys that you you play with like you're a member of a club at the moment yeah so um dundee united table football club is our um sort of local league um we are actually based up in letham um angus so yeah we just meet once a month um and then there's um yeah, a couple of tournaments throughout the year as well. But yeah, and again, that's it's the social side that really I enjoy most. I think the thing with the game is it's meant different things to me at different parts of my life. So um, when I was a kid, it was all about like stuffing your mates and like scoring great goals and like winning trophies and all that kind of thing and uh, and traveling as well. Whereas now it's uh, it's much more about yeah, just seeing people really and having fun and playing a game that we all love and it's competitive as well like i'm annoyingly competitive and uh it really comes out in superior but in not in an aggressive way it's so like, that's another thing i'm interested in is like so in that that tournament that atmosphere like you know like football has got this like amazing boisterous crowds that are like rapturous behind their fat and they're so like flippant and mm. vocal like what's the atmosphere like at a Subutio tournament does it have that same instilled thing of, of like football fans and or is it much more like stayed and there's everyone a lot more reserved yeah well kind of like at the beginning of a tournament it's pretty reserved um but when things start to get a bit tighter or if you're playing someone that's you know one of your rivals or you know you're quite close to in sort of skill level um you can go a whole game without only having like one or two shots or something um and if you're to you know, get that last minute goal or or just like if you you're not expecting to um actually beat someone for example or score against them and you do um then you know the emotion <laughs> does come out and you hear people screaming and when you get to later on the tournaments like world cup example is um for example is pretty <laughs> pretty crazy so especially the team event so with the team event you have four tables going on at the same time and you draw fixtures at the start of the game and that's where all the strategy happens of who you're putting up against who kind of thing and it's all started with a toss of a coin and then during the game uh yeah it's a kind of cumulative sort of um score between all the tables and then um 
yeah, it gets really tight. Um, so you can have, so maybe like a couple of minutes left, and it's a draw overall. And um, so a goal on any table wins it for the whole team. And um, like the you know, the Spanish and the Italian, um, Spanish, Italian, Belgians, always traditionally good good teams. Uh, Greece as well, Maltese. So when these guys, you watch these guys play, and um, at the end of a tournament when things get really tight and someone scores in a team event, it's just carnage. There's like people rolling on the floor and all sorts. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's not like snooker. No, not so much. Not so much. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it's it, but it was just funny because, like, for a very precise skill-based game like that, it, it might like I, my expectation would mean it might have been because a lot of it's about precision and about strategy and about mm. um, it might well have been everyone all quiet. Like, yeah, uh, during the game, that's yeah, that's pretty much what happens. And I think that's one of the things I like about it as well is because you're. Uh, with work and stuff, you're so like everything's so busy and noisy, and you get all these interruptions and stuff. But when I play Sabio or table football, it's it's like you don't hear anything else. If you're in the game, you're like totally in it, and you get in your flow, and uh, it's just a different sort of mindset. I, I don't know, I can't really describe it, but um, yeah. But then yeah, things do happen, and then you, you click out of it, and you. you the emotion just comes out because yeah it's like because you're visualizing moves in your head and when you can actually visualize something make it happen and then score it just it's just incredible and then yeah so what yeah. what are the qualities that make a good superior player okay so you need uh, patience um you need to be able to so there's the physical yeah so basically there's there's two two main aspects which is the physical side of being able to propel the figures properly um, and you need to be able to hit the ball at different lengths um, so as I say, the table's sort of a metre and a half long so you need to be able to flick a player from one end of the pitch to the other and just touch the ball like one millimetre at the right angle to set up your next shot so if you can do that that's that's pretty decent um, and then there's the yeah, the strategy part, um, which is basically being able to plan plan your moves, um, look for openings, and um, work out the steps you need to take to get through those openings. Um, but then, as you're playing, the your opponent is obviously making defensive moves, so those openings are being closed all the time, and players are moving everywhere, just like in real football. So um, it's this constant sort of cat and mouse game of um, trying to stay one step ahead of your opponent and is there like a timer on each shot like you've got so many seconds to take a um, yeah I think it's 10 seconds um, per flick and some people make the absolute most of that and it's mind numbing <laughs> so a fast game's a good game yeah like I play really quickly and like it's, well, it's actually best that's uh, another good thing if, uh, the best players will vary the speed they play at um, because it knocks your opponent out of kilter kind of thing when they're defending. If they get used to like flicking a certain sort of um, well, a tempo, uh, yeah, yeah, sort of certain certain tempo. Um, but then if you mix it up, you get near the the sort of shooting zone. Um, yeah, a few quick moves and you can just throw them off guard and they'll like give away a free kick or um, something like that. It's uh, because you do like you you get pro to be your players, right? 
Um, there are uh, th- there are clubs who actually, yeah, I believe there are clubs who pay people to play. Um, yeah, I'm not involved in any of that, but uh, yeah, it's a lot more serious and the over in Europe. Yeah, yeah. So like coming back to your your practice you, when you play, mm. um, do you have like a obviously you have a team that you play with? I imagine it's Dundee United. Uh, well, actually, I <laughs> stopped playing with. Uh, I, I I started playing with blank figures. Okay. Um, and just playing bases as well. Um, a good few years ago now. Um, because they look bigger. <laughs> So um, yeah, they look bigger when your defence is lined up. In in my opinion, in my head, it's like really good contrast with the pitch. So plain white figures, and then I had like yellow and white bases. So um yeah, really big and bright, a bit more intimidating I think to get through. Um so yeah, it's yeah, it's the competitive thing coming out again. Um but uh, yeah, I've I've um yeah I've a few teams, but it's I think that's the difference between Subutio, which used to be all about recreating your football sort of um, dreams I suppose and like collecting your teams and all that kind of thing and then the sports version for me is more about the actual game itself and it's more about the people playing against each other if you like I don't know if that makes sense yeah there's two aspects to it there's because mm. I imagine a lot of people get into it for the aesthetic side of it and like that you want to create your team or potentially paint your own team and add the latest strips and all that sort of stuff and it could be because mm. I mean the objects are so nice and so like well designed that they could live on a mantelpiece or on a on a shelf and it, that could be their purpose yeah um, so you'd never need to play the game to appreciate that mm-hmm. yeah and there's lots of people doing that make, just making display cases of all the different kits throughout the, throughout the years and stuff and yeah there's lots of people hand painting stuff and the craft side of it is huge as well it's, yeah and, and that's sort of something that, that you've got into through collaboration, like the actual creation of, of players through the, the sort of Minty's Legends collaboration. Mm. Yeah, so that's that's been a really fun thing to work on. Um, and actually, going back to things I learned before, so, yeah, so <laughs> what the, the, the figures are basically a, a new kind of figure, but based on the historical figures, the very original Subutio figures were cardboard cutouts. And... Um, so, and going back to the 90s with the polystyrene figures, which were flat as well. Um, so I see the, the kind of Minty's Legends one that are kind of like an, an evolution of those. Um, but with the added twist of um, using a, a particular art style, which is, um, yeah, no, it's simplistic. And I just love how you can, there's that wee challenge of kind of like working out who all the, who all the players are. and Because they're kind of faceless, but... Um, you can still absolutely tell who they are, um, and yeah. So Minty's quite a uh, Minty's an established illustrator and artist already down in Wales, and um, yeah, I just sent him a a DM on uh, Instagram on uh, Hogminty about yeah a few a good few years back, and um, just said I appreciated his work. I've been following him for a while, and um, it'd be great to to work with him at some point. And then, um, yeah, eventually sent a, a proposal, and then, yeah, we just kind of, um, he, he just kind of let me do what I wanted to. He, he said, like, there, take the player artwork and, um, you know, do, yeah, do do whatever you like, basically. 
Um, and uh, yeah, it's great. It's like free reign kind of thing. And um, so yeah, you've yeah. created these like sets of. Like, I mean, the last time I saw them, it was like, sort of Cantona and Cruyff, and so it's all mm. these real iconic figures. Um, or iconic teams like the Man United team of, of old and like um, mm. yeah it's bringing them to life in this slightly different style of, of like figure for, for playing with yeah and the, the original idea was to you know kind of go back to the school playground and you, like you pick teams and that and pick your <laughs> pick your favourites and then like the rubbish one all gets left till the end um, it was kind of like that with yeah with, with Legends so you could assemble your dream team if you like um, and you know Sweetio did their own dream team thing which was a total failure um, but uh yeah, this is yeah a, a little bit different, and for, for basically for the five side tables as well. So, yeah, so we we started off with the original um, sort of ten figures, just brought out another uh, another ten. Um, so it's sort of building up into a wee bit of a collection potentially. I don't know. Um, we shall see. But um, yeah, I think the one of the things I enjoyed most about the project was again it's been able to try out all these different things. So the packaging design, which was. I'm really pleased with how that came out. I'd kind of d- done a bit of packaging design before, but um, yeah, this was kind of like a, feels like a really nice sort of presentation box that it's kind of all, all goes in. And um, it's sort of limited edition uh, or special edition that everything was numbered and all that kind of kind of thing. Um, and uh, yeah, I had some amazing feedback from customers. Um, there's someone that, said they didn't know whether to play with it or display it as a piece of art um, which I thought was quite a nice problem to have. So I mean why why haven't you just gone to China and just got these mass produced and then you can do all the rest of it here? Mm, uh, well I kind of right from the start I didn't want to uh, yeah that I was kind of against all that kind of like mass produced just cheap tat you know, like you buy all these toys which just fall apart like straight away and um, I wanted to make something which was built to last and you know something that might be passed down to generations next generations and something a little bit special so like when someone buys a table it's not you know if you go down you go down the recycling like there's always like these like foosball tables in there and like like people just buy them think they're a great idea and then they just end up in the tip and it like if that hadn't thrown my tables out, like, it would totally break my heart. Because um, it's like, you know, put, put so much into them. And like, I think the people that buy them kind of, they know, um, yeah, they they want it to be something a bit a bit special, I think. And yeah, they're they're recreating their childhood's memories as well with Subutio, um and then introducing it with to their kids as well. And I think, yeah, that's, I kind of like that. The connection there between the tables being a bit of a, a conduit to foster that relationship with the you know, parent and child kind of thing. So, if, if anyone does want to get in touch or have a look at the, the tables themselves, where where do they find you and where do they find Flight for Kicks? Okay, so the website is uh, just flickforkicks.com and on social media, which is um, most active on Instagram and Instagram stories as well and on Facebook uh, also on Twitter uh, just flick for kicks everywhere pretty much so yeah great thanks very much great thank you so that was Gareth um, 
I suppose an extra special thanks to him for coming on and doing the episode because he was massively nervous, I think, coming into it and he smashed it. It was great. Um, I, th- <laughs> I think he, he mentions it in the podcast that he's an overthinker um, and I think that was definitely apparent. Uh, but the things that he's doing and the work that he does is phenomenal. So um, I'm really glad that he came on and, and sort of shouted about what he does because... Uh, yeah, it's he's again a brilliant part of the creative community, like every guest that I have on. Um, and yeah, it just took a bit of convincing to get him to tell his story, so I'm glad he did. Um, so thanks very much to him for that. And yeah, if you don't already, it's at CCC Dundee on Twitter and Instagram if you want to keep up to date there, or facebook.com forward slash group forward slash CCC Dundee, or just find us on a podcast platform. Yeah, so that's it for this week. Um, I have no sort of pearls of wisdom to leave you with, so bye. <laughs>